Our fight to eradicate corruption, maladministration, unethical leaders, and the abuse of taxpayers' money by those in power continues. It's fresh, it's fearless, and focused. The Outer Hour, where your voice matters. Good evening and welcome to the Outer Hour. I'm Tom London. It's good to be with you yet another Wednesday night at 7 o'clock and it's time to discuss corruption and how we tackle it in South Africa with the team from Outer. Wayne Divinage leads the team tonight. He's on screen now. How's it, Wayne? Good to have you with us. Great to be here again, Tom. Lovely. And summer's in the air. I don't know what the rest of the country looks like to our viewers around the world, but nice to be with you this evening. Uh, we'll catch up with Wayne in just a minute or two. We also have uh, a whole bunch of people, in fact, on air tonight. We're going to be discussing a number of topics, so do stand by for those. And remember that you can put your comments in the comment section down below this video. We'll pop them over to the outer team. Any comments or questions you got that you'd like us to put to Wayne and the team, just pop them in the comment section down below. Also, uh, this is a good time to ask you to like and share this video. That's how we get the message out to more and more active citizens like you. Uh, just hit that like and share share button. We'll get to some of the hellos in just a moment, uh, but let me tell you what we're discussing tonight. We're going to be talking about uh, COVID corruption in Gauteng, the government's response to it, and Outer's position on COVID corruption in Gauteng. That's first up on the menu tonight. Then we'll head over to uh, Eric Neertling and Skalk Schutz uh, from the investigations unit at Outer, and they, they will report back. If you remember, two weeks ago or so, we spoke about a presentation that Outer was going to be making to Parliament around services, CETA. Well, they've presented to Parliament, and we're going to find out what happened uh, and also find out what the roadmap is from here when it comes to the services, CETA investigations that Outer have been busy with in the presentation to Parliament. And then Tim Terrell and uh, Tabile Zuma will join us to talk about the Zandile Gumede appointment. A lot has been said uh, in the media and around the country when it comes to the uh, recent appointment uh, of Zandile Gumede, and we're going to talk about that tonight. So we invite you to uh, join us as we discuss some of the important topics, so the most important topics in the country today when it comes to corruption and tackling tax abuse and maladministration in South Africa along with the outer team. Okay, let's do a couple of hellos quickly. Uh, Anita, well, we'll do the first couple. We won't be able to do them all because a lot come in over the show, but let's see who's on first. Somerset West is represented tonight. Western Cape on board. Anita Whale says, hello, Tom from Somerset West. That's lucky to have you on board. One of my favorite parts of the country, Anita. I lived in Stellenbosch for two years. It's a beautiful, beautiful place. The outer team are on board. Samantha van Nispen, uh, assisted by Ivor Cleary. When you see the outer sign like this and any conversation taking place, that's Samantha and Ivor. Sam is head of comms and marketing for outer. The show's put together by Benele Sinatla. Judy, uh, should we got a lot of people joining. This is fantastic. As you join, don't forget to like and share. Uh, Jeanette Longman or Janet Longman from Betty's Bay, another beautiful part of the country, is on board. Nice to have you with us. Tony Peterson says, hi all. Exciting times out there, aren't they just? Judy van Gelsweik, a regular name and viewer to the program, is on board. Says, good evening all. Donnie Hayward also. Kempton Park on board. Represented every week by Donnie Hayward. Outer, thumbs up. 
says Donnie Hayward. Barbara Schillinglaw says, hi everyone. Hello Barbara, thank you for joining us. Nice to be with you. Get ready for a great conversation. And then a lady we had on a couple of weeks back, Rachel Fisher is on board. Hello Rachel. And Rachel says, well done Team Outer. Nice to see Rachel on board. John Oscar says, evening all. Bronwyn Grammer says, good evening. Desmond van Breda says, evening Tom and the Outer team. Brendan Slade says, knock him out of here. Mike Erickson Muller says, Mike says, how's it from Bronston? Hello, Mike from Bryanston. Nice to have you with us. Thanks for your message. Ulza Zonnefeld says, Krugersdorp. I feel like I've lived in most of these places because I lived in Krugersdorp as well for two years. Good to see the West Rand represented. And uh, there it is. Sam and Ivor are on the outer handle tonight. So know that when you chat to outer, you're not just chatting to a, a, a logo. You're chatting to real physical human beings. Samantha and outer are on board. We'll do one more. Mercia Bortolosi says, hi, outer. I love what you do. Thanks. Well, Mercer, stay with us and don't forget to like and share this program. We'll get the message out to more and more like-minded South Africans, active citizens, as we fix South Africa. Now, uh, we know that corruption around COVID has been a huge talking point in South Africa for the last few weeks. The media is full of headlines when it comes to COVID corruption. Wayne Duvenage is going to lead us through the conversation when it comes to Gauteng, specific uh, corruption cases. Uh, I see um, the Special Investigation Unit is probing hundreds of personal protection, protection uh, equipment contracts to the value of more than 5 billion rand. Literally hundreds and hundreds of these investigations taking place. Let's ask uh, Wayne to kick it off this evening and talk about um, the COVID-19 expenditure. Wayne, uh, last week, the Gauteng provincial government released its documents on COVID-19 expenditure in a, a, suppo- a show of uh, transparency. But, but what is Alta made of this release? Well, I think, firstly, Tom, is, isn't it just sickening that, that when you have uh, disaster funds that need to get to the most vulnerable and uh, those who suffer the most at this time uh, are plundered? And look, uh, corruption was endemic in this country. It's become a big problem over a long period. Uh, so we expected nothing less. This was going to happen. All the more reason for it to take place was that the um, procurement processes tend to get relaxed when, when, when procurement of, of uh, safety equipment and, and things that are required uh, uh, in an emergency time, uh, uh, the, the, the speed has to be hastened up. And that's where government drops its guard, breaks the rules even more. And lo and behold, uh, many fingers in the cookie jar, uh, but what is uh, extremely worrying and frightening is uh, the extent thereof. It, it really has uh, has run rampant. And so last week when the Gauteng government uh, put out its report, and it says no, they're doing so from a transparency point of view, really that's a bit of a joke because that is not about transparency. The only bit of transparency, there was the list of the names and the amounts they received, but transparency when it comes to procurement is what we're really looking for, and that is to ensure that um, we can see as the public who's bidding, who's getting the jobs, what the tender process, how it's unfolding, and not after the money is spent, because that's when it's too late. It's hard to get the money back once it's laundered. And so uh, Louise uh, Flanagan uh, does a lot of our investigations, or more from the journalistic point of view, uh, did a fantastic job in working with Eric and the team, very quickly getting into this information, and, and lo and behold, we start to see the red flags coming up, the amount of these companies that were only registered as government uh, 
service providers uh, in since March as the pandemic broke. And the amount of these companies that were only registered with CIPC, some of them one director, their residences or their operations running from the back uh, rooms of houses, uh, getting millions of rands. 13% of that 2 billion rand uh, reported uh, COVID expenditure in Gauteng, 13% of it going to 80, uh, 48 companies. They got 18, 87% of the revenue that was spent. In fact, 3% of the time of the top 10 got 40%. And so when you start digging, you start seeing how rampant it has been. It's, it's actually quite sickening and shocking. So what we're doing now is going to start finding out how did this happen? Where was the oversight mechanism? Where were the breaches? Because it's those people in government who are supposed to ensure the oversight is in place that need to also be held accountable, not just those who received mm -hmm. the money and plundered it. We're looking for your questions for Wayne. If you have a question around the Gauteng Provincial Government COVID spending, uh, any concerns or questions you may have, pop them in the comment section down below this video and I'll pass them on to Wayne. Wayne, uh, what stands out when, when you start digging through these documents and looking at uh, Gauteng's COVID-19 expenditure? Well, you start seeing, uh, as I said, some companies getting massive amounts. I mean, Diani it was a... It was a is a company that got 116 million rand. This is one of those that was recently uh, registered. And uh, it's a company, by the way, that, that seems to have been dormant or deregistered in CIPC's books for a number of years and, and was reopened in June this year, you know, just uh, or, or re-registered to capitalize on this uh, COVID procurement processes. Uh, 116 million rand. We see as well, and 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 I think what's what's important is the SIU, the Special Investigations Unit, is moving fast. The quicker you move, as you get on top of these uh, big flags, uh, the quicker you're able to stop the money flow. And uh, they've done a good job at Ledler, uh, a development uh, company uh, or structural development. I think they got a seventy odd billion rand, uh, uh, sorry, million rand, or no, forty six million rand contract of which the, uh, they've seized and stopped the money flow of about 39 million rand, 40 uh, individuals or companies involved. So going straight into those banks, bank accounts and, and, and halting the money flow. Uh, it's good to see that because um, that's just one company of the, of the many that uh, have done, uh, been involved in these transactions. We need to see a lot more. But I think that what we're now asking for, for uh, the states uh, or the provinces to provide us with formal information. Wayne, um, have you uh, seen beyond uh, the type of companies and, and companies that have only been ex in existence for a month or two, or unrelated industries they may have been in, have you seen uh, much pr uh, price hiking? Uh, has that caught your attention? Is that something for us to be worried about? Well, we, we know and have heard that there is a, a gouging, price gouging, and uh, you know we've got we, the value for money out of these transactions is, uh, leaves much to be desired. You could have probably bought a lot more of the equipment that is required with the amounts spent. Uh, the devil is always in the details. So once we get the information that we seek, we'll be able to see what we'll be paying for masks, for aprons and, uh, and gloves and so forth. Uh, and and uh, to your other question earlier, I mean, some of these companies are telecoms companies. They are uh, structural companies. Mm. These are companies that are not in the uh, uh, PPN medical uh, uh, supplies um, industry. And in fact, the law is quite clear that you have to be a registered uh, supplier in this industry, not just with government, but with the, with the, uh, the regulations that control this uh, expenditure. Because 
you, you know, you can imagine if you if if if, if hospitals are buying goods uh, from suppliers who are not registered, who are making substandard uh, uh, quality or sub-quality standard uh, products, um, people die as a result of that. So again, so many of the uh, regulations and laws have been flouted here, uh, and as we get the detail and start uh, unpacking it, we'll, we'll be able to report back on a lot more of what's happened. Wayne, a lot of questions coming in from our outer hour viewers about arrests uh, around COVID-19 corruption. Uh, Clive Graham Beckett is on board saying, hey, has anyone gone to jail yet? Adrian Reynard said, why doesn't anyone go to jail? Warren Fouché says, doesn't make any sense at all. Marina Mulberg-Smith says, we're still waiting. So uh, a lot of, um, a lot of uh, angst around yeah. uh, prosecutions. Now, the Special Investigation Unit is in, uh, investigating these cases. Uh, what's your uh, level of faith in, in the SIU and, and arrests that would be made around COVID-19 corruption? Well, you must remember, I mean, our level of faith in the states to, to just, just arrest full stop for corruption has been, we've expressed it, along with the rest of society, it's taking far too long. Now, we're talking about cases that we've laid in 2017, 2018, 2019, this year. Uh, not enough has happened. We know that a lot is uh, happening, but COVID-19 is five months old. So these cases, hopefully, are not going to take as long. Uh, you know, the VB. Yes, matter broke in 2018, and there have been uh, a lot of action there. Um, there have been police recently uh, apprehended in, 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 in towns in, the, in Mangaung. There are five um, uh, government officials uh, recently arrested. So, yes, we're all looking for the big fish. Um, we're looking for the Anosh Singhs of the world and, and Brian Molefes and that. Uh, and those, we believe, are coming. In fact, that whole Transnet transaction is gaining a lot of attention uh, with the NPA uh, and, and, and with the work we're doing. And I can just tell you that um, that that in in that space, I mean, look at uh, what happened this week uh, or last week with Anush Singh. Uh, nice to see that he's been stripped of his CA title. Yes, it's not an arrest, but all of these things start adding up a lot of good information there that is going to lead uh, to, to his uh, possible arrest. So, yeah, not as uh, much as we'd like to see in that space, uh, but we do have faith, uh, Tom, we do see there are a lot, lot of signs of things turning now. Uh, we just wish it would happen faster. Tato Monometsi says, this has always been a problem that I found amazing. Back then, you'd see a construction company getting a catering tender. It's never made sense, it's always, it's, it's, and it's something that's always been done. How do we stop that, Wayne? You know, I'm going to let, let uh, um, Eric or, 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 or Skulk um, talk about that because they understand the modus operandi. I mean, the way you stop it, though, the best way, and that's the stuff that we're investigating now and, and engaging, because we sit on the uh, anti-corruption forums uh, uh, at, at a national level with other entities, and the, the, the secret is, is to get government to enable and allow society to be part of the procurement oversight. So again, I make this example often. When you see the transactions taking place, when you see Joe Soap's construction company uh, bidding for a catering tender, for instance, uh, you raise the flags then. You start asking the questions. Uh, and if we can start getting this, uh, this, this focused entity on board to stop the transactions before the payment is made, that's when we will start winning this war, not after the payments are made, because it's hard to get the money for 20 million rand once 14 toilets have been built or never built but paid. Ivan Nell wants to know, does the public have the right to view all government tenders awarded? Why is this not published, or is it? 
Well, they do, but it's called an open tender platform, but the public don't see it. You're, it's open to tenders. It's open to all tenders. But what happens is they spe specify the, the requirements for the tender, which knocks out most of the people. They almost pre-write the tender to suit one or two suppliers that they want to get the tender. You're not part of the tender process. What we would like to see is on, on an open platform, as these tenders start going up, people are bidding or, or putting their names forward. We start investigating right there and then. As somebody's uh, tenders goes in, you can start investigating. Because we've got access to CIPC's information so we can see when companies are registered, who the directors are. Uh, and and that's, the, that's the stuff that we want to do more of, but we've got to get transparency in the procurement process. Jennifer says, wait, they're going to be promoted. The more corrupt, the bigger the promotion. We'll talk about promotions when we talk about uh, the, uh, the appointment of Zandila Gumede uh, at the tail end of this program. Stay tuned for that and do take part in the conversation. Uh, so we'll be talking about that uh, in just uh, a few minutes, Jennifer. Uh, Wayne, what is uh, Team Outer going to do about what you've discovered around COVID-19 uh, spending in uh, Gauteng? Well, well, we're not going to let up, you know. Uh, our, our, one of our values is, is resilience. We, we stayed the course. So, you know, while the, uh, the COVID-19 corruption around the country was happening, it was quite frustrating for us because unless we get the evidence uh, through whistleblower information, very difficult to do anything. We don't act on a whim. We don't act on, on hearsay. We act on facts, uh, and we can move quite fast. So the minute we got this report... Uh, was the minute we started acting. And that's what we do well. We investigate, uh, we get into the detail, and then we start deciding what are we going to do? We're going to lay charges, who are we going to go after? And this takes time. It doesn't happen overnight. Uh, and so the team is working flat out on this uh, COVID-19 project that's unfolding. And as we get more reports, we'll start investigating those. I must say the team is, is stretched right now, all 45 of us. It, it, it's it's just mind blowing how much work is coming at us, and there's so much good stuff we can't turn away. But we have to start putting the brakes on, otherwise we mm. just get stuck and take too long to get to all the other projects. Desmond from Fun says, Wayne, how do we get rid of government uh, and move forward as a united country, minus the corruption and and major crime? Now, what's the solution? Solve it all for you us, vote, Wayne Divinage. <laughs> you vote. You vote for your government. Country gets the government it votes for. We have a corrupt government. In fact, uh, we have, we've been having some very, very interesting discussions lately. We work uh, and engage with a number of civil action uh, organizations trying to find solutions and engaging at low. In fact, right now there's a meeting on which one of our executives is attending tonight uh, with other uh, uh, um, organizations. And, 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 and the reality is this. We don't have a corruption problem. We have an ANC problem. That's the issue. We have a corrupt ruling party that is not tackling the issue, which is why we were quite excited and obviously need to be guarded and, 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 uh, and, and not be too praising of the president when he put out his letter on Sunday, but very clearly spelling out what ought to happen. And that's the stuff that we've been talking about as civil society. So if ANC can't correct itself, then the public need to remove them through the voting polls. And a year from now, the local elections would have happened. We'll have to see a big change. There. 
Uh, Wayne, aren't there things we can do besides uh, our votes, but things we can do when it comes to procurement processes? Esme van Heerden asks, are bidding or tenders for service providers not required to be on an official vendor list? Uh, and I, perhaps I'm going to ask uh, uh, Eric Nertling, Head of okay. Investigations, to, to answer that question. So, so let's ask yeah. Eric. Eric, you know, at the, we're hearing all these stories of somebody who's in the construction business. So they started a company two months ago, uh, and they're a construction company. Company. All of a sudden, they're supplying uh, masks and sanitizers to a hospital, for example. How, how, how is that allowed? How does it happen? And, and, and what needs to be changed, in your opinion? Um, it's an it's a excellent question. Um, it ultimately comes down to, yes, you might register as a vendor, but what are you registering as? Are you really who you proclaim to be? Um, so that's, that's that and many things. But I want to start off with COVID-19 March. It hits the country and people see that or, or individuals within government, within the procurement space, see that there is, a, there is a huge challenge facing the country. Or do they see a huge opportunity facing themselves? Hmm. What was their approach when they knew that there was this kind of money going to come about? So what you have is the Gauteng government publishing a list of individuals and they call it transparency. What I want to see is what transparency can they show me in terms of the processes they followed in terms of dishing out the money and to who they dished it out. It doesn't matter where the money ultimately ended up, it's gone. It is what they did in terms of allotting the funds to the individuals and that speaks to your question in terms of who were these vendors? How were they registered? How did they qualify? Who were they connected to? Who ultimately benefited? You know, in the South African space, we've just been through what is called uh, the Financial Action Task Force uh, peer review mechanism, which speaks to beneficial ownership around specifically bank accounts and, and the likes. So you have a dormant company that all of a sudden rises out of the ashes like a phoenix and receives millions of rands in, in funds from government, which from a beneficiary perspective might seem okay, but if you're a catering company and all of a sudden getting 20, 30 odd million rands to provide masks, which does not conform to the health regulations, then something is clearly amiss. So what I'm saying is the whole value chain is, uh, the whole value chain is basically uh, uh, compromised. In terms of your question earlier regarding the SIU, they're doing excellent work, but they don't have the capacity to catch up on every single one of these kind of cases. I think the focus should go back to where did the money flow emanate from? Because there's only 10 or 15 people that are sitting in those departments. Mm. Don't worry about the 50 or the 200 companies that got the money. You can recoup that money because it's going to take time anyway. So that speaks to, I think, in terms of where the focus should lie. In terms of how do we prevent this? Um, we constantly hear of a, a government saying that they're going to fight corruption, but it's always a government telling the citizenry. There's no interaction with business. There's no interaction with civil society. Until they don't start recognizing that there's a, a trilogy, that there are three parties around the table and not just themselves investigate themselves, they're not going to get anywhere in terms of this fight. So um, I, I think there's a lot of work to be done. Um, you can't just pass the buck, the buck on to law enforcement because you know it's going to take forever. I say go after the people that made the decisions. Mm -hmm. 
Wayne, uh, there's a lovely uh, comment from uh, Pasi Sokoto here. Uh, Pasi says, we need civil society to take charge of this country, not a, another political party. What I gather from that comment and from casual conversations that I have is that the level of trust when it comes to politicians in South Africa, uh, and I know we're pointing fingers at uh, the ruling party when it comes to this corruption, but just in general, it seems as if South Africans have got very low levels of trust for politicians. How does civil society play a, a meaningful role in how this country is run? Well, yes, just on the fact of, 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 of trust in government, uh, our government has the lowest rating when it comes to the trust, uh, the highest deficit, trust deficit, when measured in the, the Edelman Trust Barometer, comes out every year in January. Um, and, uh, and, it, and our country uh, has a 14% positive rating. Well, that's a heavy negative rating uh, in its trust in government. They rate, they rate the citizens' trust in civil society, uh, the media, business, and government. And, uh, yeah, government fares very badly and has been going south uh, for a long time. So, you know, civil society's role, uh, civil society around the world has always played a role in, 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 in holding uh, the feet of perpetrators and waste of, of, of uh, taxpayers' money or bad policy um, to the fire. And, and, and that's, that, I think, is what, you know, is not the only civil action movement. There's a number of, of, of entities out there. Uh, and, and we're all doing different things, have different mandates, different boards, and, 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 and so forth. But, but on the whole, I think civil society is, um, has raised the flag and, 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 and made the country a lot more aware of, of, of what is happening at the moment. You know, the pressure that's been brought to bear uh, when we use the uh, public protector's office, when we when we use SICA, when we use uh, the Auditor General's office, it's, it cuts across many fronts. But here's a lovely notion to think about. How does civil society bring about real change? Um, we would like to think and see that there's an opportunity at next year's local elections to... To, to promote independent candidates. Now, in local government, you can get independent candidates. If we can get them to sign a charter that speaks to being able to be removed if you're found wanting before the next elections, not waiting till then, and, and, and that you will work in the best interests of citizens and your residents. Um, that way, I think we can remove a lot of uh, politicians from local government. The by-elections in many towns are now being won by, by independents. And if you can get a majority town run by independents, you will see a big change. Uh, already some uh, municipalities and, and residents associations are talking about that. And we've got, uh, we've got a platform being launched soon that might play some, have some effect in that area. Fantastic. Uh, Douglas Metcalf says, uh, and, and let me ask you this question. Douglas, Douglas says, get laws passed that confiscate everything from the perpetrators and empower the asset forfeiture unit. Uh, if your crook attack SARS falls on you like a ton of bricks, it's time to fall on the corrupt people. Is it easier to, to confiscate assets and freeze bank accounts than it is to arrest and convict people? Oh, yeah. Yeah, we've got good laws. We've got great regulations. We've got assets forfeiture unit, SIU. We've got, we've got fantastic mechanisms. But as Eric said, they are, have been decimated. Their capacity has been weakened. Uh, but if we can build those up again, Oh, yes, we'll see a lot of uh, assets being stripped and the tax man going after. 
Uh, Andre Muller would like to know if any of this COVID corruption or wasteful expenditure around COVID-19 expenditure is going to be recuperated. Uh, Do do you believe that we'll get some money back? Yeah, already. One transaction of 46 million rand, Ledler um, Structural uh, Development Company, 39 million has been frozen already. So that was quick moving, and that's what happens. As I said earlier, you've got to move fast, and you'll get the money back, or a lot of it if you can. And, and then they'll go after other assets for the stuff you can't get. Ivan Nell says, Alta needs to take on legal and financial audit graduates to insist with investigations as part of their article. Spend a year with Alta working on real cases, receive credits and references towards your career. There's a bit of advice from uh, Ivan Nell. Uh, Bar- like Barbara Schilling Law says banks also need to start flagging large amounts like they used to in the past in the past years. Now I know if I get a little birthday money from my relatives in Australia, the bank calls me and says, "What is this money for?" And it's just for a couple of hundred bucks. Uh, how do how, how do guys and businesses manage to move hundreds of millions of rands through bank accounts without banks putting up a flag? Well, again, Eric, you come in here. I mean, they, we've seen the money laundering and the flags are there. Uh, these banks in this country are actually extremely guilty of so much that has left this country. But Eric, maybe you want to elaborate there. Yes. Um, once again, uh, uh, a good question. Um, the primary responsibility for flagging these things falls under the Financial Intelligence Center Act. And our Financial Intelligence Center is an administrative financial intelligence center. In other words, they don't have the powers to necessarily investigate. So um, what happens with the banks are, as long as they flag the transaction, they've basically passed the first hurdle. They've, they've been as responsible as they should be, and they pass it on to the FIC, who then should pass it on to whatever authority it is, whether it be the Reserve Bank or uh, SARS or, or, or law enforcement and, and the likes. Um, so the thing is, it costs money for the banks to to stick to the compliance that is expected of them. And, and it is expected of government to respond to it. So I, I once again want to reiterate that... Um, we need to be far more preventative in our approach as opposed to following a detective approach. Stop the money from going out beforehand. Um, the red flag is only going to indicate to you what has happened with the funds. Um, mm. Remember, a million rands is unfortunately not what it, what it used to be. So a quick million changes hands very quickly. A quick hundred or 200 million, that's something else. As long as the beneficiaries of those entities seem to be what they are, and there's invoices that can support the transaction, the money's going to move. I say check the vendors before they are registered as a vendor. Are they actually what they are? Do they have a premises? Do they have a, a warehouse where they're stocking their stuff? Well, are they just a pure middleman? Because remember also, South Africa is not an island. We are part of the international financial structure. So you're sitting with a lot of organized crime entities throughout the world that through COVID-19 saw opportunities to dump a lot of products onto unsuspecting countries with weak controls. Um, and South Africa, for all purposes, is a weak state in certain, to, to a certain extent. So when you have um, organized criminals abusing what you have internally and you have local entities that are prepared to facilitate that, then obviously you're on a hiding to nowhere. Um, Once again, what mechanisms do you put in place 
deprived you dish out the money. And if you're going to be dependent on only law enforcement, you're on hiding to now. That's Eric Netling, Head of Investigations at Outer. Dermot Jewell uh, says, like I said, it's going into cryptocurrency, can be used anywhere in the world, no paper trace. Here's a question. Uh, we'll, we'll, we'll end this segment of the show with this question from Lucius Svoronos, who, who asks, has our judicial system been hijacked? Wayne? No. No, thank goodness it hasn't. Um... It's been uh, the judicial system that the courts are doing a great job. There's just so much, and they could do a lot more. I think our systems aren't as efficient as they can and should be. Uh, but, but no, not, not in the way that I think people might be implying or, or thinking. Um, the, certainly the, uh, the criminal justice system when it came to the Hawks, the disbanding of the Scorpions by Jacob Zuma, and bringing in uh, Sean Abrams and messing around with the NPA for as long as it did, uh, yeah, that was decimated. But that's that's not hijacked anymore. But it's weak, and it's undercapacitated. Uh, but it's being fixed and repaired. And, uh, and a lot of good stuff is now starting to flow. Let's move on to our next topic. If you've just joined us, welcome to the Outer Hour. I'm Tom London. If you haven't hit that like and share button, then do like and share this program now. That's how we get the message out to more and more active citizens as we tackle corruption in South Africa together. We are going to focus for a few minutes on the outer presentation uh, on services CETA the, to Parliament. Uh, if you're a regular viewer to the show, you will know that uh, outer picked up irregularities in contracts in the services CETA, and they have represented or made representations to Parliament. We spoke about uh, the presentation that was about to take place. I think it was two weeks ago. Well, it has taken place. Let's ask uh, Skalkschutz, shall we, uh, an outer investigator, what the reception was like. What, what happened when you went along to uh, present to Parliament? What did you present and, and how were you received, Skulk? And welcome back to the program. Good evening, Tom, and good evening to our listeners. Yesterday was a very interesting uh, day in Parliament. Uh, Auto was invited after they submitted a 29-page presentation to the Portfolio Committee on Higher Education to present um, in yesterday's meeting, the 25th. Um, it was the findings from the investigations conducted by um, Outer's investigation department on maladministration within services CETA. Uh, it was welcomed by uh, all the portfolio members um, who has a clear stance in terms of um, that they've had enough. They are fed up in terms of um, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat every time uh, they are called to Parliament or whatever. It's the same uh, plausible explanations and responses being given um, uh, just only for their next meeting to be exactly the same. Mm. Um, in, in addition to uh, our welcome to the presentation that we did in terms of the maladministration, uh, the NSA, which is the National Skills Authority, also presented their findings in terms of the investigations that they conducted into uh, maladministration um, in services CETA and construction CETA. And then the South African Qualifications uh, Authority, SACWA, also did their presentation in terms of the qualifications of certain of the uh, AA Accounting Authority and board members, which has been a contested point for uh, over a year or, or now, or so. Um, and uh, 
it was it was very informative in terms of uh, the aggressive approach, in terms of change, culture change, uh, with with. Uh, which was evident in terms of the questions that were posed afterwards by the members of the portfolio committee. Uh, some of the recommendations that, that was forthcoming was, for example, uh, that, that uh, SACWA was recommended, recommending that all 21 services, CETA, uh, Sector Education and Training Authority, entities within all the different sectors, uh, be audited in terms of uh, from junior management all the way up to the board uh, in terms of their qualifications. Uh, and um, so uh, hopefully these recommendations that uh, that were tabled, uh, which also included a, a zero tolerance and, and, and with a strong, strong uh, message in terms of consequence management by the uh, members of the, of the committee, um, came across very, very strong. So... Uh, my, from from where I was sitting and, and, and looking into these proceedings or whatever, it, it's very positive uh, that there's definitely um, action and, and, and positive action, proactive action that uh, going forward in terms of fixing the the, the CETAs in general. That's encouraging news. Outer was at Parliament, unlike the Eskom board who uh, didn't pitch for their uh, their hearing. Uh, it points to transparency, I suppose, uh, and, and lack of transparency when it comes to presenting to Parliament. Let me ask Eric Nettling now, uh, wh what would you like to see, Eric? What would Alta like to see when it comes to transparency around CETAs? What could change? Tom, I think there's, uh, there's, there's a lot of things that need to change. And I think people don't truly understand the amount of money that's flowing through these CETAs. We're talking about 21 CETAs, probably in extent of between 19 and 20 billion rands a year, which is basically coming out of company skills development levies that they pay. Um, so that's one thing. But what is the purpose of those funds? What is, what is the effect of those funds? Or what is it supposed to be used for in terms of upskilling our youth? Because this is ultimately why Alta got on board with this um, specific project. And um, I... I was thinking now while, while Skalp was talking, this investigation into CETA started off with one whistleblower coming forward saying that they hadn't received their stipend payment. That's two years ago and maybe a little bit more. And through our perseverance and, and resilience, as Wayne mentioned earlier on, we're two and a half years or two years down the line where we're in Parliament. You know, So I think that speaks to an extent of civil society and transparency and where Parliament actually invite civil society to come and give their inputs because civil society is becoming more and more favoured to become a, a vehicle for the wrong to actually get to the people that are making these decisions. So I think that's, that's a positive. But um, the potential for us to lay criminal charges going forward, that is definitely there. There's, there's a multitude of avenues that we are going to take on. And the, the, the interesting bit of it is we only presented yesterday on a part of our services CETA investigation. We now have an excess of, inf excess of information relating to more than six CETAs of the 20 part. Wow. And it's the same story. It's non-payment of stipends. It is abuse of funds. It's students who are seemingly getting qualifications that's, that's not worth the paper that it's written on. We're sitting in a country that's now in a post-COVID space or in a COVID space where the unemployment figures have escalated beyond what we, what we have ever fathomed. And what we're not seeing is a government that can 
quote its labour policies with its education policies. Until those things don't happen, you're always going to see the silos floating. We can only highlight the maladministration as, as, as long as possible, but until the policies don't flow through from these engagements, we're in for a, for a tough ride. From a transparency perspective, we're calling on all students, come forward, use our whistleblower platform, tell us whether they're receiving their stipends, whether the, the registrations are in, in order, and um, maybe going forward we might start off a little project to see that, to, to determine how many um, students have actually received gainful employment. What is government, or sorry, what is what is business doing about this? Remember, they're paying a percentage of their payroll every month to in, allow for upskilling within the sector that they are operating within. Are they getting their values worth it? And are these various CETAs um, uh, complying with what they're supposed to be doing? So um, we're resilient about this. It's one of our primary projects, and we're not going to back down. Parsi uh, says uh, that CETA is a gift that keeps on giving. Years back, Auditor General staff had been robbed at gunpoint of their electronic advices while on audit duty there. That's a comment coming from Parsi. Uh, and I would like to know uh, what you'd like uh, the por- Portfolio Committee to do about it. What, what should they do and, and, and why should they? I believe that where we find or, or where the Portfolio Committee sees blatant disregard for pure, straightforward princip- uh, procurement processes that those boards be placed under administration, um, and let's get some oversight into those boards to make sure that the money goes where it should be going. But as long as those boards are in place, they're always going to be um, flirting their responsibilities. I believe some of these boards need to be placed under administration for the right reasons. And I believe the Minister of Higher Education needs to start coming to the, to the party on this. This is a serious matter, especially in our current economic times. Stay tuned. We're going to chat about Zunele Gumede and her appointment as an MPL recently, despite howls of protest from tripartite alliance members and the media, civil activist groups and uh, individuals in South Africa. We'll be talking about that in just a moment. Uh, we are chatting about uh, Outer's services CETA parliament presentation that took place yesterday. And uh, Skulk... Uh, who suffers in the end? I mean, when it, we always, you know, we spend a lot of time talking about numbers and uh, procedures and processes, but at the end of the day, uh, every time a rand gets stolen from South Africa, uh, somebody suffers. Who suffers in this case? What, what have you seen and what have you noted? Well, with regards to sector education and training authority and in terms of delivering on their mandate, they should ensure that. Um, you know, the workforce out there, those that are not, not skilled enough to be employed, uh, can go through uh, these uh, training and skills development programs to upskill themselves so that they are marketable um, in the workplace, uh, so that um, there's contingency uh, and concession planning as well in terms of um, skilled uh, artisans, skilled practices out there. Um, and, and obviously, if these people are upskilled, and the CETAs deliver on their mandate, and these people are more employable, then obviously it would also have a direct impact on, on, on the unemployment rate within, uh, within South Africa. Um, so unfortunately, it's the community, it's the people out there that doesn't have a livelihood, but that's willing and committed to, to upskilling themselves um, so that they can also contribute to the economy of this country. 
they are the ones that are suffering because of the failed system. That's Skalkschutz, uh, outer investigator. Let's move on, shall we, to one of the main news stories this week. We saw that Tabile, uh, we saw that uh, Zandile Gumede was appointed as an MPL despite uh, ongoing investigations uh, around corruption. Uh, a lot of noise was made in the press. A lot of people are unhappy about this. I'm not sure whether we've got Tim Tyrrell on board. Tim, are you there? Yes, I'm here. Hello, Tom. Oh, fantastic. All right. Uh, Tim, uh, good to have you on board and good to have you back. Our outer hour, regular outer hours uh, viewers will be familiar with Tim Tyrrell. Tim is an outer project manager. We'll be joined by Tabile Zuma on this discussion as well. The appointment of Zandile Gumede, uh, some say, uh, demonstrates the lack of good governance practice in the public sector. What are the uh, key principles of good governance practice that should have been applied in this context? Tim? Tabila? Can I Hi. hand that one to Tabila? That's her, her right. subject. Yeah. All right. Well, uh, welcome back, Tabila Zuma. Good to have you on board. You take it away. <laughs> good morning. Good Evening, Tom, and thank you for inviting me to be part of this discussion tonight. Uh, it's actually quite disappointing that the ANC has deployed Ms. Sandy Lekumede as the member of the KZN legislator allocated to the COCTA portfolio committee, regardless of her charges of corruption uh, uh, related to a solid waste uh, tender in Etiwini municipality. What this demonstrates is that our leadership is actually not interested in fixing poor governance and corruption. Instead, they're protecting and prioritizing their members rather than dealing with issues of poor governance and corruption drastically. It is a trend in the public sector to see that executive uh, public officials who have demonstrated poor governance, and uh, including maladministration, corruption, and fraud, they are consistently deployed in executive positions in different departments without dealing with um, appropriate without without uh, without them being dealt with appropriately effective governance in this uh instance talks to uh, it encourages better decision making and the efficient use of resources and strengthening accountability when you look at effective effective governance it's correct it's, it's, it looks at a uh, robust scrutiny uh, of policies and it also provides um important pressures to improve public sector performance and tackling corruption. So what this trend creates is political instability, social and also economic instability. It's also important to understand that um, political parties also play a significant role in, in, in determining if good governance actually exists in the country. Mm. Good governance uh, begins with the political will to govern well. If you look at, at all the um, issues that are, are, are happening in terms of, of corruption and maladministration, it's concerning that actually our governing party is not paying attention in, 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 in improving governance in, in, in the country. So this is um, certainly uh, concerning and it creates a lot of um, issues in terms of governance. And also we see that there's a, a lot of power and, and, and authority abuse, dishonesty, fraud, and also the violation of legal systems and factors of good governance in South Africa. The key principles of good governance that I think should be practiced in this context, um, I will draw them from our international oh. framework of good governance, which speaks to each entity in the private sector should starts acting in the interest of its people. This, is, can, this can be demonstrated by the commitments, um, the strong commitments to integrity, ethical value, 
and the rule of law. I think those things are very important in South Africa in this context. Ivan uh, Nell says, state prosecutors have asked for a delay in the Gometi case because they can't find some bank statements and phone records. Was this not established by the Hawks? And if so, is there now deliberate evidence tampering surfacing? I'm not sure. Wayne or uh, Eric, would you like to answer that question? Let me give it to let me give it to Eric. Eric, are you there? Yes. Um, there's some basic procedures that that investigators need to follow. Um, it's it's a pure financial investigation that bank bank accounts don't disappear. Um, you just need to follow the correct procedures and make sure that uh, the banks from will provide those statements. The issue lies in whether you have. Um, the skill set and the abilities to do the financial investigation and basically track the funds. But funds going or, or bank accounts not being available, um, they just need to ask for them again. Um, the the, the, the Got it. various acts are pretty clear on what needs to be, needs to be done. Got it. Wayne, were you shocked? I hate to use that word. It's been overused when it comes to corruption. But were you shocked when you saw the appointment of Zandile Gumede? What, what was your reaction? Well, more angry than shocked. Uh, we're not surprised at so many things that happen these days, Tom. I mean, it's just, you know, the type of stuff that we see coming across our desks, it's, it's, this is the stuff that horror movies are made of. I mean, you can't write books. Uh, I think if the Hollywood uh, scriptwriters wanted to come and, and, and really, really write some good stories around corruption and how bad it can get in the world, this is the place. Uh, so when they... When they reappointed, when uh, Zandile Gomede, uh, you just look at everything, all the charges against her and fired and kicked out as a mayor of one of the big metros. In the, and then what happens? She finds herself in a, in, a, in a position in province. But we see a lot of this, by the way. This is not the first. A lot of mm. people are suspended, um, charged, uh, fired even. Uh, and then they just pop up in another municipality or another department in government. Uh, and, and we've got to start listing all of this now in the database and start hunting those people. But yeah, not not surprised, just really angry, really we'll, angry. We'll talk about the president's letter and then your letter to the president published in the Daily Maverick recently, uh, where you, you suggested that this could be President Ramaphosa's Rubicon moment. We'll get to that in a moment, but let me ask Tim Tyrrell, what should South Africa do to improve good governance practice in the public sector, Tim? <laughs> Thanks, Tom. Good evening, everybody. Um, well, I think there's a recurring theme when we have discussions like this within Outer, and that is do your job. This is a question of integrity and values. Um, they know exactly what the brief is, but self-interest, unfortunately, has clouded their mandate. And it's really a question of let's get back to basics. Let's adopt a common value set which is objective. It cannot be one which is chosen by a party or a group simply because that's what they feel. Values are, are set aside as objective measures, and those are things to which we should all aspire. So if there's one key thing that they need to do is to, to commit themselves or to examine, to identify the values which are important for all of us and to commit themselves to those values. It's that simple. 
what do you what do you think when uh, you see the protest that takes place uh, around an appointment uh, like the recent appointment of Zandile Gumede? We've seen Kasatu come out uh, against it. We, we've seen the Communist Party come out against it. Uh, prominent South Africans who've spoken up uh, against this, uh, and yet the appointment stands. Uh, how do you how do you view that? To me. No, Tim. <laughs> uh, okay, thank you. Look. <laughs> Tom, it's, it, we've overused this word, but it, it is a shocker. And it comes back to this issue of integrity and values. Um, we, we are witnessing, in my view, an organization which is at war with itself. There are a series of internal convulsions going on, which in, in time may well tear the ANC apart. There are other questions that get raised about the separation of party and state, but I think in this case... You can say government or ANC in the same breath, and we're talking about exactly the same thing. But where you have parties within the party, so to speak, who are saying, we commit ourselves to good governance, we want to root out corruption, we want to behave in an ethical and upright manner, then you have other people who are just as prominent and whose name get into the news and who wield extraordinary influence saying, it's okay. Not only is it okay, but show me one person or one prominent person in the ANC who hasn't done business with government. Yeah. And you start to get a, a measure of how this internal conflict is raging within the governing party. So there's inconsistency at play, which is causing major, major problems. And that inconsistency is around the commitment to a fundamental value set which should be guiding all of us. Leonard van der Leidgarten asks, uh, this is a great question, who appointed her? Who authorizes that? Who, who, who's the person who puts the rubber stamp on that appointment? Well, th this begs another question, you know, which tail is wagging which dog? We have certain procedures that are laid down in law and we have certain political parties who pull the strings. So I think for, for those who may be thinking that they are responding to some kind of hint or strong suggestion from their political masters, they're probably quite right. I'm not going to go right out on the, on the limb and say that that's exactly what has happened here, but to the extent that the, the provincial legislature and the municipality or the council rather of a, of a major metro inside the province is being corrupted and dictated to by party interests as opposed to um, the rule of law and by a proper mandate given by the people, um, that's where the thing is coming apart. Wayne, Mike Erickson Muller says, do you not think that Jacob Zuma and his influence had lots to do with uh, Gumede's reinstatement? Is that, is that still a possibility, Wayne? Yeah, look, not sure. As, as Tim says, you know, which tail is wagging which dog here? Uh, we do know that, that, uh, that, that she is a supporter of, of, of Jacob Zuma and he's a supporter of hers. You saw, you saw his son come out in support of her. So there's that faction, that Zuma faction, that, uh, that, 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 that past God that is, is lurking and lingering and hanging around as much as they can, both right at the top structures all the way down into provinces there, and the KZN provinces is still very strong uh, when it comes to Zuma's, the Zuma faction. So I, I, whether, he, whether he had a direct hand in it or not, I'm not sure, but... But it is just amazing that in this time, in this day and age, um, you can have such such conduct, such brazen, uh, uh, just uh, you know, abuse uh, when it comes to the people's will. The people don't want that. They know that. Um, and it's just sick. 
Leonard van der Leyenhouten uh, follows up with this question. So did the president put his stamp on it? Or is the president removed from think, this? I don't think, I don't think uh, Sir Ramaphosa would have approved that. Certainly not uh, after his talk and speech these days. No way. While we're talking about the president and uh, recently saying he was drawing the line in the sand when it uh, comes to corruption, you wrote an open letter uh, published by the Daily Maverick uh, under the headline, Dear Mr. President, please make your comradely, comradely appeal a Rubicon moment. What did you mean by that? Well, what I meant was that um, you've seen the standoff between uh, the president and uh, and the pushback cabal, we call them in, in the NEC. Uh, two weeks ago, they met. And as you mentioned earlier on, um, uh, you know, Ace Shula and his crowd saying that, that you know, what's wrong with uh, government officials doing business with government? And and and, and Jacob uh, and, and Surah Mapoza has been quite vocal on this issue and, and he he took a pen to paper and wrote a very stern and, and, and harsh letter to the leadership of the ANC, uh, speaking out about what is so fundamentally wrong with the way the ANC is being governed and, and, and running its uh, affairs. And this is the stuff that we've been talking about from civil society for, for years. These are the rules and the, and the uh, oversight uh, committees and commissions and, and integrity commissions work that we want to see taking place. I mean, it's not rocket science to put out strong rules like that. In most parts of the civilized world where, where governance is good and strong, that does not happen. It's not allowed to happen, but it happens here, and the ANC thinks it's okay. So why, we, why I believe this is a Rubicon moment is, is there's a standoff now between himself and those who enjoy uh, doing business with the state and being blatantly corrupt, so to speak. Um, and, and when that happens, this whole notion of, no, the ANC comes first, we will, we will we'll work first for the party and then the country. Well, that's changing. That narrative starts to change that conversation. And, uh, and these are the types of engagements that give rise to the potential for a split. And, and, and we think the president is in a strong position or strong enough position to now stand up and say, yes, you did vote for me to be the, 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 uh, the president of the ANC. You put me in this position. But I'm also the president of the country. And the voters voted for me, and not necessarily the ANC, because we could see, and all the trajectory was that the ANC wasn't going to win. They didn't vote for Jacob, uh, I mean, David Mabuza. That 54% that the government got in the, and the ANC got in the last elections wasn't because of Ace Malvashula, wasn't because of Jesse Duarte, it was because of Cyril Ramaphosa. Uh, and if Jacob Zuma was there, or the Zuma faction, they don't, uh, you know, the pundits say they wouldn't have got over 50%. So there's a lot to be said now. And when the president makes uh, a statement the way he did on Sunday, we've got to now push him and make sure that some of the stuff sticks so that uh, we can see uh, the action that he's calling for start happening. And that's the role of civil society. You did that in your letter. You also suggested that uh, the president uh, takes action and every cadre excused, uh, accused or reported to be involved in corrupt practices must account to the Integrity Commission immediately or, or face disciplinary processes. You suggested that people who fail to give an acceptable explanation or to voluntarily step down whilst they face disciplinary, investigative or prosecutorial uh, procedures should be summarily suspended. But you also spoke about uh, how the ANC should publicly disassociate itself from anyone, whether a business donor, supporter, or member accused of corruption. What, 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 
continue. You see, Tom, uh, the, that part of the letter you read there, I extracted from his letter to his own leaders. That's Cyril Ramaphosa speaking. That is beautiful talk. It sounds like civil society speaking. That's him. So we took that, put it in there and said, now, this is great stuff. We want this to happen. And if you're going to show us that you're going to start forcing this, then where you have influence, Mr. President, start putting pressure on. Why is, why is uh, Joma Peterson uh, heading up a committee in uh, Parliament? Why is Mbosu Benzizwani heading up the Transport Portfolio Committee in Parliament? These are thugs. These are people who we've laid charges against. Faith Matumbu, we've laid treason charges. You know, we don't lay a treason charge because we just feel like having fun. We've got the facts. She acted against the best interests of this country, and she's got a seat in Parliament. Now, Ace Magashula put them there. So you can see the standoff that's coming out, and we're putting them under pressure to have those people removed uh, or stand down at least while they face the integrity commissions and, and, and explain themselves. Tabile, uh, if our wishes came true and you were made president, what would you do to uh, stop the appointment of, uh, of uh, those who are being investigated for corruption? You're on mute. Tabile? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry about that. No problem. I was getting excited and responding. Uh, I think if I was president, the first thing I will, it will be the political will to govern well. I think that would be the first thing where all the leaders have values of integrity, ethical values, and also committed to uh, serving in, in, in the public of the interest, in the public's interest. Second of all, it's having strong financial management skills. I think most of, of, of issues that we encounter in, in this country is because of poor financial management and people who are appointed in financial management skills without the appropriate skills to be in those positions. So I think there's a need to, 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 to change that. I also think there's a, a need to have open um, engagement with civil society and stakeholders, including uh, businesses, because they play a huge role in, in, in governance of the country. In, in, that re in that regard, they can play an oversight role in terms of uh, in, in procurement and project management in, in, in certain aspects, especially in, in, in local government. I think those are, are very important. And, and, and taking into consideration, the, the, the recent appointment of Umiskumede, it also says a lot that civil society is saying we do not want such people to be appointed. So I think it's time for our leadership to start taking into considerations the opinions of civil society. So those are things I think I will strengthen if I were to be uh, president of this country. Got, you got my vote. Tim, um, T tell me, uh, what can we do, you know, ordinary South Africans, whether we, we're supporters of Outer or uh, we're supporters of other civil action groups, what can we do uh, when, it, when it comes to putting pressure on the ruling party or government uh, when it, uh, in, with regards to these kind of appointments? What, what, what can the average Joe do? Well, I, I think the obvious answer to that one is that every South African is accorded the right to exercise his or her view through the ballot box. Um, the first thing we do is we vote and we vote sensibly. But there are, there are layers here, and I think one must be very cautious. And this is where we, as people who are informed, can spread the message, because then the thing starts to, to diffuse in ever-widening circles. And I mean this um, this way. And that is that it is an absolutely vitally important to vote with your head and not with your heart. 
you need to think things through. You need to be logical and rational in terms of the decisions that you make. We have witnessed and almost become um, inured to the rise of populism over the last decade and a half. And it is really, really horrifying to see how people who should be thinking about what government is doing to provide services for them at the most basic level, supporting a cause and supporting candidates who are patently unfit for the job. So I think that's the first appeal that I would make and probably the place where I would devote most of my energies to spread the word and to try and bend people's perceptions and to influence them to vote sensibly in a rational and a considered way. Wayne, uh, we're out of time. The final question for you is uh, going to be from Desiree Kruger. Well, it's a comment more than a question, but I think it leads uh, on from what Tim has been saying. Uh, she, uh, Desiree is rather pessimistic. She says, isn't this just a waste of time? Uh, because nothing's going to happen. We just write letters and send them to Parliament and, and, and we don't see any action. Uh, we've often spoke about how you eat an elephant one bite at a time. How are we doing uh, when it comes to tackling corruption as a, as a country, Wayne? And how would you respond well, to you see, Desiree's, you know, Desiree's pessimism? Or realism, yeah, I, some I, might I, say. I was actually, I was actually uh, typing my response to it, but I will, I will say it here. Yeah, you know, you know, fighting and challenging corruption is not one issue. We don't just write letters. Um, we've led tax revolts against ETOLs. We do presentations in Parliament against irrational policies and trying to influence change. We lay charges. Uh, we take people to court. Um, uh, Dudumieni, for instance, found them guilty. We we were part of the Saika uh, complaint that found uh, Anur Singh guilty this week. This is a multifaceted approach. It's not one silver bullet, yeah? Um, and so writing letters is part of civil activism. Uh, and when you add up all these different uh, multifaceted initiatives and, and, and the resilience that you apply to it and the tenacity that you apply to it over time, you start to create a wave of energy that works against corruption. So, you know, you can't flick a switch and things happen. Uh, if you think the president doesn't read our stuff, well, I can tell you he does. Uh, we know we engage with his aides and, and, and supporters, I mean, and, and support teams. We engage with the ministers. Just the other night, last uh, uh, this month, um, four of us uh, uh, from Outer were entertained. Well, when I say entertained, the minister of, of DPE with his deputy, with his DG and uh, deputy DG, with the uh, acting chair of SAA, uh, gave four of uh, Outer's uh, team on the aviation industry two hours of their time from seven to uh, nine o'clock at night. You know, in a meeting where we are grilling them on the SAA salvage uh, thing. So... So this is not just, and that, that arose from a letter. That arose, in fact, from a tweet that we put out where the minister called us and said, hey, you know, what are you, why are you saying this? And we wrote to him and then he, so this is all about the part of engagement. We are not sitting on the National Anti-Corruption Forum uh, for nothing. We sit there because we engage constructively with government, but we also engage partially with government when the time calls for it. So... Uh, you, know, you know, we're not wasting our time when we write letters to to uh, ministers and the president. Uh, it's all part of the bigger picture. 
Uh, I'm looking for our closing comment of the night. We're looking for uh, either an inspirational comment or a quote or something that's on your mind that we could pop up on screen. I must say that uh, Ira Halpern uh, has a comment that I thought was just lovely to close the show on this evening. Ira says, doing nothing is not an option. And ain't that the truth? So I'm going to uh, hit the heart fountain or the heart button for... For Ira and and that uh, sentiment, doing nothing is not an option. Uh, and I, yeah, where's my heart button? And if you spot on there, you know, yes, we often get asked, we often get asked about that, and that is the that is such a good uh, point. You know, you can do nothing. We can look away and carry on, or we can do something, and we choose to do something. All right, I see the hearts are starting to flow across the screen. So if you've got your heart button there, just hit that heart button quickly. We make a bit of a, an outer heart fountain for Ira Halpern and her comment, doing nothing is not an option. I'll just hold the phone up so you can see the hearts flashing across the screen. Lovely to see the spirit uh, on the air and on your side of the camera tonight. Right, let's get uh, some goodbyes, shall we? It's been quite a show tonight with uh, a lot of people on board. So let's see if I can get a group shot. And uh, Eric Nettling uh, from Eric Nettling. Uh, thank you, Eric, and uh, a good night to you. Thank you for contributing to this evening. Uh, Scott- Thanks, yeah. And Skalkschutz, your, your final words uh, for the show this evening. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for all the supporters out there and um, keep on fighting the good fight. And we were also uh, joined by Tim Tyrrell this evening. Tim, thank you. Your closing comments? Thank you, Tom. Um, if I may just add to what Ira put up on screen just now, um, it's a quote that's often attributed to Edmund Burke. All that is needed for evil to prevail is that good men should do nothing. So my message to the naysayers, my message to the pessimists and those whose energy may be flagging, there is no room for pessimism here. We all have to put our collective shoulders to the wheel. Tabile Zuma joined us this evening. Every time she's on screen, people feel glad. Now we know why, because we see uh, your name is Tabile Gladness. Tabile, your closing (laughs) comments. Thank you, Tom, for inviting me to tonight's discussion. And thank you for our supporters for watching. Thank you, Tabile, and look forward to having you on soon. We'll leave the last comments uh, to the CEO of Outer, Wayne Duvenage. Wayne, uh, a message for our viewers this evening. Tom, I just want our viewers to know how hard this Outer team works. Uh, you know, I sit in the, 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 the operations meetings from time to time, and I'm just blown away. So, so for me, I'm energized by them. Uh, they, 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 they help me sleep at night, knowing how, how much uh, of, of the shoulder they put to the wheel and the grindstone and, 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 and just churning out this uh, amazing work that they do. And then always to our supporters, without you, well, we wouldn't exist at all. So, so if you do, do contribute to us every month, no matter how much, please don't stop. And if you know friends and family members who, are, who, are, who should be part of this movement, should be contributing please uh, get them to do so it takes five minutes on the outer website but thanks to everybody and thanks again to you tom and 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 the team and the marketing and team the comms team that put the show together been great Always a pleasure. That's the CEO of Outer Wayne Divinage. This show is put together by the comms team, headed up by Samantha Van Nispen, assisted by Ivor Cleary. The producer of Outer Hour is Benelis Sanatla. 
And that's it for this evening. Thank you to the Outer team. Remember, you can always go to the Outer.coza website if you haven't been. Pop along to Outer.co.za. A full list of Outer's projects, what they're up to, report backs, you name it, is on the Outer website. There's also that Join Now button. If you haven't joined Outer, then hit that Join Now button and join tonight. Please remember to like and share this program. If you haven't hit the Like button, haven't hit the Share button, do so now. Let's get this word out to more and more active citizens. The Outer Hour is brought to you by Outer every Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. I'm Tom London and all that's left for me to do is wish you a wonderful seven days ahead until we make it a date next Wednesday at 7 o'clock. Hope to see you there. Spread the word. Tell some people to join us. It's always lots of fun and stimulating conversation that takes place on a Wednesday at 7 o'clock on Outer Hour. The lockdown restrictions are being eased. We're starting to see the economy move again uh, slowly, some say. It certainly feels slow, (laughs) slow for small business owners and and some employees but uh, we keep going and uh, we'll make it through another seven days god willing with our health and bank accounts intact i wish you a wonderful week ahead may you stay safe and warm and i miss you already join outer now and become part of the solution to join outer go to outer.coza and press the join now button